by Nephi. What kind of patty cake, taffy pull experience is that? <laughs> There's too much Irish in me for that. <laughs> Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to the I, Nephi podcast, part three, Whence Babylon. Babylon. Today, I continue with the theme of opposition. Why is everybody always picking on me? From its first minutes of origin, as Joseph Smith knelt in the grove, he claimed to be hindered by diabolical forces. Thick darkness gathered around me. It's so thick! And it seemed to me for a time as if I were doomed to sudden destruction. That's from the 1976 First Vision film, where he's tearing up the grass with his hands. That always freaked me out. The seeds of Mormonism's simultaneous superiority and persecution complexes are sown in these lines, which are always excluded from films of the First Vision, despite being attributed to the Only Begotten. And the personage who addressed me said that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, that those professors were all corrupt. From this comes the saints versus Gentiles dichotomy. Why the opposition and persecution that arose against me? Why indeed, Joe? But these are the tent poles, imparting shape to the canvas of a Mormon life. Besides the saint's primary spiritual big bad, some call him Satan. The strength of LDS righteousness has always increased in resistance to evil forces. They are, to stretch a metaphor, the Elastomer Soloflex bands to the bench press of this mortal chest day. Make the chest muscles do the work. Press it up slowly. Give a fast, smooth pump. One name for these forces arrayed against us is made known in the book of Revelation. Mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. Yea, even Babylon. The great persecutor of the church, the apostate, the whore, even Babylon, that maketh all nations to drink of her cup, in whose hearts the enemy, even Satan, sitteth to reign. Behold, he soweth the tares, wherefore the tares choke the wheat and drive the church into the wilderness. Who, or what, is it? And it came to pass that I beheld this great and abominable church, and I saw the devil, that he was the founder of it. How are we to stand against it? Contend against no church, save it be the church of the devil. Let's consider for a moment that this refers to a single church. Why not the largest and oldest, what most people mean when they say, the capital C church, the Roman Catholic Church? The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Mormons and Catholics are a Coke versus Pepsi kind of thing. Ford versus Chevy. The Rock of St. Peter and Apostolic Succession, or apostasy and restoration. The prophet and the Pope can't both be right, right? Today, there's the Rome Temple, and President Nelson met personally with Pope Francis in 2019. But in the 80s, the attitude about that other holy and apostolic church was less cordial. A distrust or outright contempt of devotees of the Pope is as old as the fisherman's ring. This attitude would have been prevalent in the Protestant worldview Joseph Smith was raised in. What is this verse of Moroni denouncing infant baptism 
if not a refutation of 19th century papism masked in a pre-Columbian epistle. Were the Lamanites really sprinkling babies? I know that it is solemn mockery before God that ye should baptize little children. That commitment should be made by a mature and thoughtful eight-year-old. In 1958, a book called Mormon Doctrine was published by then-member of the 70, Bruce R. McConkie. It was by no means canon scripture, but considered for decades the Encyclopedia of Mormonism. I was given a copy with a bundle of mission prep books for my 18th birthday. They went mostly unread. Apologies. The original edition of Modoc gives credence to Babylon being a code word for the Catholic Church. My dad was a missionary around this time, and afterward a BYU student, and was certainly familiar with these sentiments. Passages calling Rome itself Babylon and the Catholic Church, quote, most abominable above all other churches, close quote, were removed in later editions. The book is currently out of print and tacitly disavowed by the church, but the attitude lingered. There are many yet on the earth among all sects, parties, and denominations who are blinded by the subtle craftiness of man and who are kept from the truth because they know not where to find it. Sex parties? Sex parties, sex parties, sex parties. My experience in my household was that while our Lutheran neighbors and Baptist schoolmates were having an incomplete Christian experience, like an Atkins burger of gospel, not providing the fullness, the Catholics were simply wrong. The Pope had less authority than a bread-passing deacon and was misleading all those multitudes of Mexicans and Irish and what have you. This perspective was challenged when one of my siblings started dating and became engaged to one of them in the mid-80s. They were a boisterous Texas-style variant. There was beer and an oompa band at the wedding reception. Quite a contrast to the cultural hall sherbet punch or crepe-papered backyard oak tree affairs with which I was familiar. A quarter century later, I myself would commit to matrimony before a big gnarly crucifix. The preparation process, including couples classes and appointments with our marrying priest, was all interesting and practical instruction. Father John was a progressive sort and very accommodating. He encouraged us against planning a full mass, which would have the groom's side sitting uncomfortably through the Eucharist. That's like the sacrament, except they have seven sacraments, but that's a whole other podcast. Imagine if a bishop knew Gentiles were coming to see a baby get blessed, and he canceled the testimony part of the meeting, knowing how bored and excluded they might feel. It was kind of like that. Have you ever had to sit mortified by a cousin or in-law after the baby's been blessed, but you still have to sit through testimony meeting? Ugh, it's terrible. The wedding was a blessed event, and 15 plus years and a couple infant baptisms later, we're doing fine. I can no longer sit back and allow the international communist conspiracy to sap and impurify all of our precious bodily fluids. The end of World War II introduced another candidate for 
of the earth. That dang old dirty communism. When communism takes over, they will want to know everything you've done. Spreading out from Mother Russia like a pit stain on garments, this threat to the American way of life arose at a time when the church was striving to evolve beyond its scrappy, government-defying, plural-wifing, indigenous people-slaughtering roots and plant its Moroni-tooting flag as a legitimate Yankee Doodle denomination. But also global. They put basketball hoops in New Zealand. Mormons are members of a worldwide church. A milestone of this era is Ezra Taft Benson, future church president, serving as apostle and secretary of agriculture concurrently. A book was published in 1967 called The Black Hammer, colon, A Study of Black Power, Red Influence, and White Alternatives, with a foreword penned by Benson. The thrust of Hammer is that the burgeoning civil rights movement was a tool of communist disruption. Maybe an inspiration for Henry Gibson and the Blues Brothers? The Jew is using the black as muscle against you. I hate Wasatch Valley Nazis. Benson's remarks deal more with commies than race issues. The church's stance for 10 more years is a clear enough statement, but he did not like wielders of fascist killing git fiddles. Would it have shocked you during World War II if a Nazi folk singer had received a U.S. government service award? Yet Woody Guthrie, an identified communist, received the Interior Department's Conservation Service Award in 1965. The fellow travelers of communism are no less despicable than those of the Nazi tyrants. No wonder stringed instruments are prohibited from sacrament meetings. Self-reliance, the antithesis of communism, is the sand in the concrete of Mormonism's foundation. Through its history, members have been counseled to store food. Give your wife a year's supply of wheat for Christmas and she'll know your heart is in the right place. Seven years worth? A ton of wheat? Find someone who sells a large bulk of grains depending on your locale. Make arrangements to buy a ton or so. A mattress propped up on cases of Sam Andy potato granules? The guidelines have changed with the times. In my mind, a shelf full of expired green beans is linked to scenes from the day after a landmark TV movie telling the chilling story of survival after a nuclear strike. The day after, parental discretion advised. It aired on November 20th, 1983, a Sabbath evening, and it was as significant to my young mind as any message I've ever heard on a Sunday. You're holding back hope. Hope for what? Give me a reason. Tell me about hope. Tell me why you work so hard in here. I don't know. What's the use? The world will soon be blown all apart and come to an end. That feeling comes from fear, not from faith. The first half of this describes me exactly, Brother Packer. No one knows the hour or the day, but the end cannot come until all of the purposes of the Lord are fulfilled. Despite this type of counsel, signs of the second coming was always a morbidly favorite topic 
in Sunday school and seminary. For years, I was terrified of surviving a nuclear blast, but then having to subsist only on cans of oily Bishop's Storehouse peanut butter. My dad and other ward members would do shifts at a Houston area church cannery. I never got the opportunity myself. Food storage was around long before the Red Scare, but in the late Cold War era, fruit preserves and powdered milk were as much symbolic brick and mortar against the Soviet threat as a food source. As often as they were discarded, unconsumed, their existence was almost purely totemic. A pennant of virtuous obedience, a string of garlic to ward off the fangs of collectivism. I want to suck your personal liberties, oh, 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 oh. Ross McElwee's quirky 1985 documentary film, Sherman's March, features an encounter with this strain of devout food storer, what we might call today a prepper or even a hoarder. Everything. For survival. Aid. First aid. First aid. Two six gallons of water. 25 pounds of low-fat imitation dry milk. Everything. McElwee only later gets the full story from his new lady friend. I'm a Mormon, member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Is that part of... I didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. If you get to watch this, observe the crestfallen and dead-eyed countenance she has in this scene. Yes, but we've been told that there will be great dis destruction prior to the second coming. But, um, and this, of course, is part of why we think we should be prepared. That was me every time I had to explain who Nephi was. Because there will be um, wars and rumors of war. In this century, the outlines of Babylon have blurred. The church and the church have found common ground like feudally opposing same-sex marriage. Marriage between a man and a woman and a woman Another one. is sacred. It is ordained of God. A couple in love can choose marriage of the highest quality or a lesser type that will not endure. Or they can choose neither and brazenly steal what they want as marital shoplifters. Man is gay. Word, Macalamore. I've been looking for freedom. The USSR was dissolved. The Iron Curtain parted. The Berlin Wall defiantly sung at by David Hasselhoff. Babylon has become a catch-all for any distraction or contaminant in the fog roiling just beyond the path of the Iron Rod. The sound of mocking laughter in a spacious building. You simply cannot do a swan dive back into Babylon and spend endless hours scoring meaningless points on pointless video games. Video games? How banal in comparison to the menace of a harlot-saddled seven-headed beast. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. The church today puts a big priority on getting along, like a high school senior who's cut his hair and ditched his dead Kennedy's t-shirts for polos. There's a strange comfort in being part of a tribe, peculiar, insular, and united against a common foe, however contrived or misguided that notion may be. I almost miss those days. When we 
Until next time, whatever your personal Babylon is, may you prevail against it. And Nephi is my name.